Welcome to the IoT Security Podcast, powered by Phosphorus Cybersecurity, your source for securing the extended Internet of Things. Join the conversation with your hosts, Brian Contos and John Vecchi. Well, hello, everyone. You're listening to the IoT Security Podcast live on Phosphorus Radio, and I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contos, and we've got an amazing guest today, Ron Kershak. Welcome to the show, Ron. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Welcome, Ron. We've been waiting to get you on here for a bit, so <laughs> yeah, excited yeah, to have you. Looking forward to this for sure. So, Ron, for some of our listeners who maybe don't know a lot about you, perhaps you could give us a little bit of background about how you came up, got into security, and what it is you do today. Yeah, no, um, been in security for a number of years. Uh, came out of school as a programmer, trying to find my way. Uh, was actually more interested in being an athlete than being a good <laughs> college student. Um, so I ended up getting tr- trying out for some uh, some teams, just say that, didn't work out, then I had to find a real job. Uh, so when I did, I ended up uh, working as a programmer and found out pretty quickly that uh, being a programmer was pretty boring stuff. Uh, I, I worked for a fairly large manufacturing company and I could not stand the monotony of it and uh started working for a cio who was a little bit global visionary and uh he tapped me on the shoulder and said hey you asked some really good questions let's put you in a security role i said yeah sure i had no idea what I was signing up for uh probably wouldn't change <laughs> it today but uh certainly glad he did tap me on the shoulder um, my first job was actually building an automated digital cert application that uh still had some challenges in trying to find the the human interaction component to it so oracle is not that flexible anyway so i ended up just pivoting into security and then i'm uh, working for this company for a number of years and you know as as every young security person wants to be i wanted to be a CISO at some point finally got my opportunity at a different company and at the time i stepped into a role and didn't realize that the day before i started was the 11th largest data breach for this company and got to oh boy. yeah wow. got to clean it up learned some got some scars was turned started turning gray remember the first day <laughs> I, I called my wife and she said when are you going to be home i said i really don't know and she she starts laughing like hey you going out with your buddies after or something like, no 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 this is something real something that's in the news i i'll be home when i'm home but uh, i can't tell you much more and kind of hit the ground as a CISO. that was my first day uh trying to find where the bathrooms were and being interviewed by the FBI. That was kind of a fun, fun experience. Wow. Uh, baptism wow. by fire on that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Welcome. Welcome to your role. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I'd <laughs> say uh, probably not what most CISOs want to do is their first day is uh, being interviewed by the uh, FBI, but uh, certainly learned a lot, learned, learned, learned what not to do and certainly keep your C-levels away from the FBI or any law enforcement. They try to make jokes of serious things and it's a serious point in time and they're trying to collect intelligence and information uh sometimes executives take it with a grain of salt others go way off to the right and uh learn a lot though it was kind of a fun experience yeah and i'm sure it's been absolutely smooth sailing with no breaches or issues ever since then. since then yeah <laughs> uh, i wish i could say that uh, i mean most of the companies as you guys know and everybody listening here it's just a matter of time the adversaries we're up against are just top notch. A lot of them have time, money, 
uh, resources and, and capabilities that we can't fathom. Uh, foreign nations that you know we go up against, the corporations just don't have the, the skill sets. They don't have the monetary capabilities to kind of match those capabilities. So it's been a fun ride. I'd say, um, you know, more than two dozen, maybe three dozen breaches that I've been part of with different companies. And uh, it's just a matter of time. And as long as you've done done some preparation, uh, there's a lot of basics that I think companies still struggle with. Uh, So it's just uh, Mm -hmm. stepping back, talking to the right people, making sure you're prepared. Uh, an ounce of prevention goes a long, long way. Uh, if you if you're not engaged, a good partner, I think that's a, a first first thing I learned was when my first breach, uh, I did not have a bad phone. I couldn't pick the phone up. I had no um, uh, I had no organization that was on retainer. I had no partnerships. I step into a new CISO role uh, two days into it. I'm asking the board for a hundred million dollars for response. I think these. The board of directors were laughing at me, thinking, "Who's this guy? Is this like, uh, is this the uh, comic for the day?" And I said, "No, this is a serious thing." <laughs> and the CEO put his arms around me and said, "Um, you know, you didn't sign up for this, but you kind of did." And uh, mm-hmm. I did not get a hundred million dollars. I'll clarify that. I probably can't tell you what the number mm-hmm. was, but it was extremely expensive. Uh, I learned a lot, especially on the um, advisory side of things, and. Having a good partner, having somebody to pick the phone up. I mean, I called many companies, a lot of big four entities. They wouldn't even pick the phone up. And I, the other part was that when they did pick the phone up, I could just hear the cash register going. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. And you're taking all of that experience, Ron, the CISO role and all that, and kind of in a, in a kind of a different unique role today. Can you, can you tell us like, what does day-to-day look like now in, in your current role and company? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah I'm excited to say I'm at a offensive security company called NetSpy. It was actually one of the first 20 customers and a manufacturer in the Twin Cities. Got to see them evolve and grow. Uh, a lot of colleagues over the years have kind of uh, progressed over there. And so when the opportunity arose for me to kind of look at my next stepping stone in my career, NetSpy seemed like the right next step for me, especially with the people. And, you know, as you guys know, you, you get, the more you're in this, you get to know people, you get to know who you trust, who you don't trust, who you mm-hmm. want to work for, who you don't want to work for. And so um, that's by kind of pulled all the good people that I've worked for in the past. And it's just seemed like the right role. And so it's, it's a combination of pre-sales, sales, account, uh, making sure clients are happy, doing advisory services, I still like to be a CISO. I'm an outsourced CISO for some mm-hmm. companies even today. Uh, so keeping keeping my skills sharp, talking to the board, which is always a fun experience. If, uh, if you're a CISO and you've not talked to a board yet, uh, I think you're behind the curve. Uh, probably some mm-hmm. of my funniest stories where I've lost the board in the first two minutes. Um, I got to say one of my favorite ones was uh, probably a few months ago uh, in which the board started with a song. So we had to sing did a prayer, and then we got into the, the meat of the conversation, which was, you know, this, this was a company that had some issues and they had to take things seriously and clean some things up. But I've never had to uh, sing before. And then the prayer part was certainly part of, you know, part of my faith, but uh, something a little bit different. And I've had some boards. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I had one board where uh, a colleague of mine who wasn't paying any attention was actually on the board and he was on his iPad and I come in and I start talking, looks up, just gave me the head nod. It's like, Hey, keep going. You're fine. 
<laughs> so are you singing the who the who's don't get fooled again or what what <laughs> no it was a custom song that was created just for this board meeting this board member wow. wrote it for the board interesting uh yeah well, well that's that's a first for sure yeah i haven't heard that first for <laughs> yeah. me but uh yeah if you're if you're a cso and in or if you're an individual that wants to be a CISO at some point in your career, just be ready for the unexpected. You never know where the day is going to take mm-hmm. you. Know that you've got some bad people out there trying to do bad things to you. Uh, but surround yourself with good people. Make sure you've got good people around yep. you. Uh, you're not an island. Uh, get the right people. Make sure they're trained and they're prepared for it. But uh, there's certainly never a dull day in cybersecurity, for sure. No. So, Ron, you bring all these different perspectives to the table. You know, you've been in the trenches, you, you worked with boards, uh, you, you know, you started off as a programmer, so you certainly have the technical aptitude. How have you seen the security landscape kind of mature or change or improve or get worse over the, uh, the time that you've been uh, in security? And is it, you know, things like XIoT and cloud and, and now AI and these new sort of hot buttons and, and how is that changing things? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I think, you know, over the years, I've been doing this 20 plus years, even though I hate to say that, I like to say, you know, I've only been <laughs> in a couple of years, but no, I've been doing this a long, long time. And I've got to see companies and programs change a lot for the better. I would say adversaries haven't changed from a, uh, you know, from a threat perspective. They're always always been out there. One of my favorite stories is the first, I think, month I was a security director. It was a manufacturing company. We had 24 global sites and uh, a bunch of the plant managers sent a a memo to the security team saying, hey, we're we're spending $500 for this security work that we don't think we're getting anything in return. And they they faxed over fax. I hate to say that's a long time ago, right? People don't fax anymore. But uh, they faxed mm-hmm. over the POs, and there, it, there was nothing that we had done. But multiply that by 24 sites, by 25 years, they were just cutting checks for 500 bucks, not even knowing what they were getting. And it was a social engineering back, you know, 20-plus years ago. Uh, it, it, it hasn't changed. There's always been somebody trying to do malicious things to companies. I would say mm-hmm. the depth and the skill set, though, of the, of the attackers has changed for sure. Uh, security teams, I'd say organizations still are behind the curve from a leadership perspective. I've always been an advocate that a security director or a CISO, I'm a big advocate for the title, that if you're, CISO is not in a position to say no, they're never going to be successful. They're just going to be the fall person. Because if you can't say no, you're always going to be overruled by cost, convenience, the CIO, the CIO, somebody in the organization is going to say, no, you're going to do this. And you have no ability to say, hey, let's, let's pause. Let's look at this from a cybersecurity perspective. Is it the kind of risk profile that we as an organization want? Does this fit into our risk appetite? And I would, I mm-hmm. would say that security programs have, have really progressed away from checkbox programs, compliance-driven ones, to very much risk-driven ones. And if you're going to be a CISO, mm-hmm. understand how to, uh, uh, how to uh, factor in risk into your program. If you can't tell a story to the board and why, because the details are the details or the facts, but you can't o- overcomplicate the issue to a board without telling a story. 
You can't just go into these numbers. I've been part of too many new new directors and CISOs who, hey, does this 60 uh, slide deck look okay for the board? <laughs> I say, no, you've got, you've got 10 minutes. I mean, one, there's a local bank here in the Twin Cities. I, I was supposed to have 30 minutes. I got to the meeting that morning. They said, you know what? We've got a merger and acquisition going on. You're going to have about 15 to 20. I get to the door. You've got seven minutes go. Wow. So yeah. things change as you go. And, um, you know, making sure you've built a program that's based on something tangible, something you could tell a story is paramount. Don't try to scare people. I, I've seen security leaders too. The, the other piece that is you've got to build trust. If, you, if you're not honest in what you talk about, you're not an honest person. You're going to mislead the board or the ELT. Don't be in the position. Uh, you have to build your reputation on trust uh, and doing what's right and then protecting the people. Everybody makes mistakes. If one of your staff members and you're the leader makes a mistake, you know, find out what happened. Um, but not everything is malicious. I know that with that breach I was talking about, you know, we had an individual and we were scared. We were terrified. You know, we, we were in the news. We had reporters all up in our business. I mean, to tell you, and you guys I'm sure aware of this, but the media is relentless. And we, we had an individual who was a big, you know, we had a collections business and he was walking his dog and he saw somebody new in the neighborhood. And that person was asking, you know, walking his dog and asking me a bunch of very poignant questions that didn't make any sense. And, uh, he kind of at the end said, well, wait a minute, where do you live? He goes, oh, I don't live here. You're walking your dog. Yeah, I'm a reporter for the Washington Post. So they mislead and to, to collect information. Um, I don't think this person said anything that was proprietary at the time, but the, the extent of, of what people will go to to kind of find information, uh, knowing what the program, what you're going through, how you're going through it, uh, just make sure that you've got, you dot your I's and you've built this risk-based security program so that you know how to answer questions and you don't dig yourself into a hole. And I will say, uh, uh, being in front of Congress in a closed door session was probably the scariest moment of my professional career, um, uh, where I had, um, senators grilling us for questions. That was not something comfortable and hopefully we'll never have to do that again. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a hot, I mean, it's not that it's you know, always not been a hot seat, but boy, that role today, right? I mean, as, I mean, CISOs are now on the line for a lot of things. I mean, um, and you can say they're being hauled before Congress. And I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not for the, uh, you know, lighthearted, right? I mean, you, you really have to know what you're getting into and, and back to the risk factor. I mean, it makes such sense, right? That like you boil it down to like, you better know your risk and how to articulate it and address it. How is even approaching dealing with the risk, you know, profile, the, 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 you know, the attack surface, everything, how has that kind of changed? What does it look like today compared to even, you know, five, six, seven years ago for a CISO trying to do what you just said they need to do? You know, I would, I would say if companies are beginning to understand risk and that risk acceptance mm. is okay. When I first got into this 20 mm. years ago, it was, we're going to remediate everything. There, there's going to be zero risk to the organization. I said, well, do you understand how expensive that is? Uh, and then once we, you get into how you justify a budget, you build a budget. Um, I, I worked for another manufacturing company uh, in, in which we had $100 million to kind of right-size the organization. 
you could do a lot with a hundred million dollars, but you, but you can't find the people to facilitate the program to some degree. I remember this was in Milwaukee mm. and we were going to hire 90 people that year. And I kind of started smirking, like, you're going to find 90 security professionals in Milwaukee. Uh, maybe there's 90 total, but you're not going to find 90 yeah. more. And so getting the right people to facilitate it, I think is important. Um, so, you know, I think getting to the risk question, using a, a set foundation in a, in a industry leaning format, there's lots of them out there. They're not cookie cutter, NIST, ISO. Um, I've used the octave approach from Carnegie Mellon. Um, find mm -hmm. something that you understand that kind of you can facilitate and then customize it. Set it, set the foundation of your program and something that an auditor or an assessor can understand that you can, you know, at least communicate to them. Here's what a risk profile looks like. And then socialize it, you know, with the ELT, the executive leadership team. Find out what the risk appetite of the organization, you know, I, I, I kind of joke a little bit about we didn't accept any risk because we didn't understand risk back then and we had to mitigate everything. We never got the budget mm -hmm. to fix all of it. But today, companies are becoming more astute to saying, look, I, I can accept the risk with these compensating controls. I can build a program with the risk tolerance that aligns to our culture of the organization. I would say companies mm -hmm. are a little bit more risk accepting than they used to be. Companies used to try to mitigate every single little thing, and sometimes you get lost in the minutiae. But you got to figure out what's important, stepping back and saying, what is you know, what are the crown jewels? I think, you know, I still surprised how many times I walk into a company, data classification isn't addressed. And I, I can't name all the companies where, you know, the data, yeah, we have a data classification policy, but guess what? It has no teeth. No one follows it. If you've got one of those policies, you're going to set the fail as well. You've got to have some punitive piece to it as well, that people have to follow the rules. Documenting what's important is also no, another important piece. I mean, you guys have been through enough audits to know if it's not written down, it doesn't exist. And an auditor will never take you, hey, this is what Bob does down the road. Well, who knows? Uh, one of my favorite stories, and again, I can't name these companies, but um, a company who had never had a security program assessment ever, uh, and this is probably five years ago, they'd built their security program initially on PCI. And Bob was running PCI, you know, Bob's been running it for seven years or so, and he's been doing a fabulous job. So we don't ruffle his feathers, we stay out of his business, but a, a consulting, a big four convinced them to bring in a consulting firm to actually assess, you know, what their program is from a maturity perspective. Makes sense, right? Bob's been doing this for seven years. Comes to the day of the assessment, it's nine o'clock. Bob should have been here already. Bob's not showing. It's an hour and a half later. Where's Bob? Like, did he get hit by a bus? Who's in a car accident? The CIO checks his email and um, there's an email from Bob. Bob's like, hey guys, I'm sorry I'm not going to make it. I'm actually never coming in. I actually resigned. And all oh, the last seven years, I haven't actually done anything. And then guess what? It's your fault. Touches. <laughs> <laughs> so. So companies aren't doing that anymore. They're taking it far more seriously. Boards are asking questions. I mean, 20 years ago, very, very few companies had board presence with the security program. Today, every single mm -hmm. company does. The difference, though, yeah. is the, the ability to of the CISOs. If you're a security leader, I would say there's probably two, 
two or three phases of a CISO's security lifecycle. One, a lot of them are technical. They're either networking or application-based. Their experiences. I don't see too many other CISOs out there. There's probably a few here and there. I do know one that came out of HR. Fabulous CISO. But um, they get very detail-oriented, and they have to show success in a very short time period. So they go in, and, and they're, they're adding things. They're building the foundation. After about five to 10 years, then they've got to move into this. I've got to socialize. I've got to be a salesperson of this. I've got to, I've got to develop, develop the skill to actually obtain a budget. Uh, going in front of your ELT mm -hmm. and being able to show growth of the budget is a skill that not many CISOs have. You've got to develop those soft skills to say, hey, adversaries aren't getting easier. They're getting more difficult to detect. You've got to have the tools, the tech, get rid of your redundant technology, be able to sell the vision and where we're going. Another interesting story I have is uh, a big manufacturing, Fortune 100, brought us in, and I was the, uh, the uh, call it interim CISO. And the CFO was moving to the board of directors, and he said, you know, Ron, we haven't invested in cybersecurity in 20-plus years. Why should we start? I kind of mm. sat back in my chair and I go, wow, um, this guy has no idea. You do spend money on security. You have a firewall. You have your global company. You've got security professionals. They'd probably be embarrassed you didn't know that they even existed. Uh, but you've got people that that's their day-to-day -day job. And it isn't about protecting today. It's about protecting the intellectual property so that the people that start today have a job 40 years into the future. The people that are retiring right. already, they're going to have their benefits. They're going to be retired. It's protecting what's important today so that the next 30, 40 years your company can flourish and not have your, uh, your uh, ideas and thoughts and uh, new product lines stolen by some adversary. You know, Ron, when you brought up the CFO, that kind of triggered a, a, a thought. So what's your take on reporting structure? So I know early days we saw CISOs reporting into CIOs. Um, mm -hmm. And now we're even seeing a flip-flop where a CIO might promote themselves to CISO and hire a CIO under them. So we're seeing a lot of CIOs reporting to CISOs, mm -hmm. uh, CISOs reporting into chief risk officers, CEOs, legal, you know, tied to the audit committee. There's, it, it, there doesn't seem to be one direct path. There seems to be many. Have you found that one's more successful than the other, or is it dependent on the company? What's, what's your take on that? I think it depends on the company. There's no cookie cutter. And whenever you bring that up to companies, it's a, it's a, it's a sore spot. I mean, traditionally, CISOs were under the CIO, and it still remains that way predominantly. Mm -hmm. Very few companies are willing to make that change. Ones that have gone through significant breaches, though, that's the, that's the caveat. Think that there needs to be, they see the operational deficiencies. They see where issues, sometimes convenience or Cost becomes the driver, not the risk to the company. And so I would say, you know, I still see 80% of CISOs reporting to a CIO, but I think that is slowly changing. Um, very few are direct. I see it, I mean, to me, what makes sense is that the CISOs become the CSO, the chief security officer, and then they both mm -hmm. have physical and data. And I did have both. I mean, when I was at a financial services company, I had both. And I'll, I'll tell you that mm. the different skill sets are, were enlightening to me. Um, 
I picked up the I bet. the physical, but it takes over your day when you mm-hmm. put people in a room and you have spousal abuse and you have people that are abused, you got to make sure they're protected. And you don't want that to spill over into the workplace. I mean, how many times somebody would get into a domestic argument and it would come to the office and we have to protect employees. We have to contact local law enforcement uh, when we see these things happening. And it, it it's a very touchy uh, subject for many individuals, but it was easier for me to pick up the physical than it is for someone who's physical to pick up the cyber piece. I mean, if you're in a, in a yeah. boardroom and you got to sign off for Sarbanes-Oxley and, and really understand what TCPIP is, they're not really going to know any of that stuff mm-hmm. unless they have some education. And fortunately, a lot of them are, are ex-police officers and they're great at the physical part, but the cyber piece is where it kind of falls apart. I do see this yeah. logical, legal uh, migration where I've seen uh, in some cases where CISOs or CSOs are now up through the legal chain of command and uh, others I see through the CEO specifically so that there is no the message doesn't get garbled or, or misinterpreted. But legal, I think, is becoming the more predominant piece where CISOs are, are reporting up through. Interesting. When you were mentioning kind of, which is fascinating, the kind of the, the, the convergence of kind of the, you know, the data and the, the traditional CISO role combined with the physical security, you know, I, w- I was going to kind of switch a little bit and, and ask you about kind of the XIOT set, which is what we call XIOT, right, Ron? We talked about this before. It's all the IOT, the OT, the IOMT, the IIOT, all that stuff, right? Um, but interesting, right? A lot of that touches the physical side. I mean, when you're talking about physical, it's like, wow, from the, from the traditional CISO side, you know, this stuff is exploding. It's a big piece of the attack surface now you have to deal with. But geez, if suddenly you're a CSO and you had the physical security, all the cameras, all the door systems, the access, right? Doesn't that kind of, wouldn't that even make that focus bigger or talk a little bit about that? Oh, it, it does. It's, it's bigger. Um, and then you get into, on the OT side, you get different manufacturing facilities, in different parts of the world where communication, I think mm-hmm. is, you know, a lot of IT people don't communicate all that well. Individuals like to stay in a dark room and, and do what they do and commute the softer skills become more paramount. I think when the uh, scope of the security position gets bigger and having face-to-face time, understanding the stress that people are under. I'm a big advocate of, of having tools and technology within local areas or jurisdictions in which they actually are effective and efficient in testing to make sure they're do. You spend a million bucks on something, you want to make sure it works. And, mm-hmm. you know, bring an outside uh, party to, to test to make sure it's working effective and efficiently, I think, was eye-opening. I mean, every assessment that I've done, I've learned something from either a pen test or uh, an IOT assessment, uh, even like what, even in a facility where we would have trade secrets. I worked for a company that had a huge trade secret facility in which not one person knew the formula, kind of like the COPE, but it wasn't COPE. And, you know, we would see individuals, you, you know, Minnesota has got this concept called Minnesota nice. We're going to let some, we're going to hold the door open and let somebody in. That doesn't mesh, especially when you've got protected areas and only authorized individuals who maybe go through additional screening, like a background check to make sure that, you know, they're the right person. And so, you know, I've done a pen test, multiple pen tests where the Minnesota nice things 
becomes a negative and then we've got to somehow change the way people mm. authenticate at the door. And so what we did is we built badges with colors on them and said, you know, if it's an orange person, let them in. If not challenge, it's okay to challenge. And I think, mm. um, I'm also a big advocate. If you're the security person, you've got to go see people, go to the facility, ask them what's their concern, ask them what's important. Um, just being empathetic about their challenges, I think are important because you know, a lot of times we sit in this glass ceiling and we don't understand what's happening day to day. Take them out for coffee and talk to them what's working, what's not. Well, you know, one of these manufacturing facilities, this call it a tube bender. This guy's basically pulling down on a device that bends a tube. And I, I remember going there in the late 1990s and I went there 15 years later and the guy's still doing the same thing. Like he knows <laughs> his job and he knows the right people. And you know, he's not shy to say this person shouldn't be in this room. You know, those people know each other in smaller facilities, but multiply it to bigger ones or in different uh, parts of the world where maybe you don't know that. I think that's an, an important piece. And having the right tools and technology and, and separation of duty, I think, is another interesting one where individuals who like test devices, the remediation piece, I think, is where the concern is. Like if, if I'm testing, and I need to fix it, how do I fix it appropriately in an effective and efficient manner? Because if I have this vulnerability sitting out there for months, if not years, what is the risk to the organization if that tube bender is, is exposed and it introduces risk to the organization? So Ron, this has been like a, a master class in being a CISO, which has been incredible. We haven't had anybody, I think, uh, uh, speak to uh, being a CISO in this level of detail and sort of all these great in unique stories. I, I love the one about singing in the boardroom. I think that, that was certainly, <laughs> certainly unique. And I'll also say you mentioned Tube Bender, and that's the first time that's been mentioned on this program. And why I personally <laughs> like that is I actually did that in high school. I actually worked at a Burke Strand. We cut the tube. We welded the sides. And I, I, I thought that was a job no one's ever heard of. So, but uh, it did a lot of AutoCAD, uh, so it was a lot of fun. But um, the the question that I have for you as we we sign off, and I, I know we could have we could talk about this for hours and hours, is mm. to those listeners that we have right now that are maybe come from that that CISO side, but now are being asked to do the CSO role as well, or have a CSO report into them, and kind of you know, be responsible for all those physical security aspects you discussed, everything from door locks to working with local law enforcement, uh, security cameras, and everything that goes with that. What, what advice do you, do you give them? What, what's the best way of merging those two worlds and, and being effective? Yeah, I would say the number one thing I don't see is collaboration at the CISO level. Uh, and maybe it's a time investment thing, but mentoring um, I have a lot of mentees that I've had over the years, uh, mentors, they've been critical in the success of individuals. I think if you've got the challenge or got the opportunity to become a CISO or CSO and you're a CISO, go out and talk to others that are, have the challenge. Um, there's some really good uh, individuals. I know, um, I don't know, you know, John Valente, who used to be the CISO at 3M and Best Buy, he's retired now and he's looking for individuals to kind of share some some of his experience with, go find those individuals, go, you know, as a consultant, you can find, do a, a round table of some type. Uh, there's always going to be a vendor that would love to sponsor it. 
Uh, but find the individuals to share some of these war stories. I don't think reading a book gets, gets you enough experience. Go find individuals. There's probably a hundred, if not a thousand war stories I could continue and tell you what happened, what I did wrong, probably more of what I did wrong than right. Uh, and finding that information, I think, is important and critical. And, and you know, thing, things that you don't get in a book where somebody, well, here's a good story, where somebody at three o'clock in the morning, I get, I get a call, the CSO, because my team, we had panic alarms. And at three in the morning, people, you know, there's a shift change kind of, and people get hungry. And one of my guys went out and got McDonald's and he just, you know, did this long stretch and he hit the panic alarm with his foot. Didn't even notice it. But uh, the six people before me, before I got called, were unavailable. So I got called at three in the morning and uh, I dealt with it and found out that, you know, we really need to have another uh, compensating control or at least a way to validate that the individual, if they set the alarm off, that they should probably turn it off. Because he made a mistake, and we didn't know that at the time. Those little things where, you know, an IP-based security surveillance system with door latches and all that stuff, we didn't have an override for somebody to at least turn the alarm off if the security alarm guard made a mistake. Those little things, you know, you can't you can't pay for for those things for those experiences unless you've actually gone through them. So I would say the number one thing I would love to see more of is in our. Uh, industry, people sharing information and not waiting until you're at a conference. Like just put something on the calendar and just get together, share some more stories, what works, what doesn't. I, I really wish people were more involved in the mentor piece too, because if you're trying to get into being a security leader and it doesn't have to be a CISO, I, you know, I, I've got the t-shirt, uh, I got the scars. I don't know if I want it again. Uh, but Certainly, let's share the the experiences, what worked and what didn't with others. And I think that's the, where the opportunity is. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic advice. Well, Ron, thank you so, so much for joining us on the program today and sharing all your stories and, and, and uh, all the, uh, the, the cool little examples and antidotes that added great color. So we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Appreciate being here. Thank you so much. And thanks so much again, Ron, for joining us. Great podcast. And remember, everybody, the IoT Security Podcast is brought to you by Phosphorus, the leading provider of proactive, full-scope security for the extended Internet of Things. Thanks again to our guests. And until we meet again, I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contos. See you next time on Phosphorus Radio. Thanks for listening to this episode of the IoT Security Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe so you can join us again. While you're at it, leave a review. Find out more about IoT security and the podcast at phosphorus.io. See you next time on the IoT Security Podcast.